Good morning, church. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come to you this morning, as always, in the name of Jesus, your Son. And Father, we desire, as uh, Dan spoke earlier, to touch your heart. That our praise, that our worship, that our love, would enthrone you, Father, on the thrones of our hearts. And we know, Father, that we can't touch your heart without having our heart transformed. We came here this morning to bless you. We also came here this morning to become more like you. So we ask that this word this morning would do that, Father. That in combination with the worship we would be transformed to look more, to be more like Jesus. And for that, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I'm either going to do a great job this morning or I'm going to get a lot of trouble. So we're going to see where it goes. We're going to start with uh, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read through uh, the first 19 verses or so, but in parts. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 in the New King James Version. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn." I'm sure you all know that a manger is a feeding trough or watering trough for animals. And actually, this is the only indication in all of Scripture that talks about Jesus' birth that suggests that he was born in a stable. Very early tradition suggests his birthplace was in a cave, which was perhaps being used as a stable. There are three Greek words that are used to describe lodging or an inn in the New Testament. One word describes a place to sleep, such as a guest room in someone's home, or a general lodging place, perhaps even with animals. In Luke 2.7, Mary and Joseph cannot find a space at an inn, and Luke describes it as kataluma, which is a Greek word that literally means to unloose or to unharness, perhaps denoting a place to bed animals for the night, as well as a place for people to sleep. The word is generally used to describe a place to lodge, rather than specifying the particulars of the lodging. The meaning in Luke 2.7 is actually related more to the idea of a guest room rather than a formal inn. The same word is also used to describe the place where Jesus and his disciples spent the Last Supper. Probably a gathering, uh, a guest room in a private home, 
rather than a public gathering place that would rent out and be charged uh, charge for food. The second Greek word is that is translated in describes specifically living in the quarters of a person's home. The Apostle Paul is housed in an, at an inn while placed under house arrest. The word used in Acts 28-23, however, is kesnia, which can mean the general concept of hospitality or specific quarters within a person's home, like a guest room. Now, the third word for in is found in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan takes the wounded man to an inn. This time, the word is pandos, excuse me, pandosian, which means a public place that would be more like our 20th century understanding of a hotel. Now, according to the Archaeology Study Bible, a typical Judean house of the day consisted of an area near the door, often with a dirt floor, where the animals were kept at night so that they wouldn't be stolen or preyed upon and so that their body heat could help warm the home on cool nights. The family lived and slept in a raised part of the same room set back from the door. There was usually also a guest room either upstairs on the second floor or an adjoining family common room on the lower floor. And typically the lower floor area near the door had a manger for food and water for animals. The manger was usually hollowed, a hollowed out stone or hollowed in stone. And then the living area was a raised area being reserved for the family. Such a manger being immovable, filled with crushed straw, would do duty for a cradle. And actually that was not uncommon practice for the time. So perhaps a more realistic view of what occurred on that Christmas Eve or morning was Christ's birth according to the customs of the time is that the manger was in a house and not a stable. This could conceivably have involved a cave, but that's only because some houses were built over caves. So Luke chapter 2 verses 6 through 7 tells us that while Mary uh, started having birth pains, she gave birth to her firstborn son. To keep him warm, she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger. This would have kept him off the cold floor, kept anyone or any animal from trampling on him. And the manger, of course, would have been in a house and very convenient. After studying the Bible and both the archaeology and the customs of the time around Christ's birth, I personally tend to believe that Mary and Joseph didn't actually face closed doors. I believe they probably were in a house. But rather than staying in the guest area, which was full, the only place for them was downward, down a half step. Think of it like a split level. And it was probably in the lower level where the animals generally uh, were housed at night. Now, this really isn't the focus of this morning's message. I'm providing it as background for the rest of the message, or for the real message, which I have entitled, Knock Knock. Going on in Luke 2, verses 8 through 11. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, watching over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
and they were greatly afraid. I think I would be too. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, that is good news, of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What kind of joy do you have this morning? Do you have great joy? You should have great joy because you're heaven bound. You're no different than anybody else, really. We're all sinners and we all deserve God's wrath and punishment. But because Jesus Christ came to earth, lived as one of us, died in our place, having lived a righteous life, pleasing to the Father, he took our sins upon himself. You should have great joy, not just today, not just this morning, not just Christmas morning. We should have great joy every day because every day we are adopted, have been adopted into the family of God. We have God's favor and God only wants the very best for his children. We should have great joy every day. And when those troubles and mountains come, we should still have great joy. Because God is on our side. And what the enemy has meant for harm, he is going to turn to blessing for you. Somebody said the, 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 the walls are coming down. The walls are coming down. God is on your side. Going on in Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 19. So it was when the angels had gone from, away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. Oh, how I wish all the world would come with haste to the Lord Jesus Christ. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe laying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Advent is a time of preparing. It's a time of preparing for Christ's coming. We celebrate Jesus coming to earth as our Savior to forgive us for our sins. We celebrate Jesus coming into our hearts by his Holy Spirit to uh, empower us to live as he did. And we prepare for his second coming as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as Mary did, we should keep these things and ponder them in our hearts, becoming rooted and grounded in God's love, which passes knowing. And this is how we are transformed from glory to glory by the renewing of our minds. How do we get what's here to here? It's by keeping these things in our hearts and thinking on them. I'm sure every morning you wake up, you think, oh, how blessed I am to have another day, another day to serve God, Another day to become more like Jesus. 
Another day to see what God has in store for me. Another day to reach my destiny. I'm sure every day you are overwhelmed by the idea that God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to take your place, to suffer your punishment so that he could hold you to his bosom and kiss your cheeks and tell him how glad he is that you're his child. I'm sure you're overwhelmed by that every day because you ponder these things in your heart. And as you ponder these things, you grow closer to God, your Father. You know, in a sense, I'm getting ahead of myself, sorry. But in a sense, every day when we study the Word, we ponder these things in our hearts. It takes the Word from here to here. It makes it real. It makes it alive to us. Advent really isn't just the time before Christmas. Advent is every day of our lives, preparing for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. The context of this verse is Jesus speaking to the church at Laodicea. So he's speaking to Christians. A lot of evangelists like to use this verse to get you into the kingdom. You know what? I don't really have a problem with that. Because that's true. You know that when you came to Jesus, most likely, unless you've known him all just before you can remember, you know that the Holy Spirit was working in your heart. And during the call, the altar call, Jesus was knocking and you opened up and let him in. But why would he write this, write this, why would he tell us that he's knocking at the door of our hearts once we're born again? Why did he write this to the church at Laodicea? Well, first of all, the purpose of knocking is to get one's attention. I have to ask a question of all of myself and then I'll ask it of you. Is Jesus knocking at your heart this morning? Is the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention about something? In the case of the church of Laodicea, his purpose in knocking was to encourage them not to grow weary in well-doing, not to lose their zeal for the holy things of God, to not be drawn away by the things of the world. However, we cannot know his purpose of knocking at our heart's door without asking a couple other questions. The first one being, do I hear him? Or is my life so cluttered with life that I don't really have, can be allowed myself to be distracted to hear that knock on my heart? And then the second question is, will you answer the door? Will you let him in? Maybe again, you're just too busy to get to the door. 
You say, I, I answered another time, another day. Maybe you're like the, 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 the man that was sleeping and then someone came and wanted bread and said, I'm sleeping, my family's all asleep, I'm not going to wake them up, go away, come back another day, come back tomorrow. Or maybe you know why the Holy Spirit's knocking at your door and you're just not ready to surrender that, that door, what's behind that door, to Jesus Christ. If that's the case, I would like to encourage all of us. You see, Jesus doesn't knock to come in and point the finger. Jesus comes in to knock, or knocks to come in and to clean up the mess. Which of you women wouldn't love to have a maid come in every week and clean up the mess, or every day and clean up the mess for you? That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to clean up the mess in our lives. He's, he has no malintent. He just wants to make our lives richer, fuller, allow us to move more under the blessings of God so that we can live the abundant life that he died to give us. But God loves us so much, he will keep on knocking. He won't quit. He wants us to let, he wants to dine with us. I like food, obviously. Trisha's a wonderful cook, obviously. And I would love to come to any of your homes because I like food. But there are some select one of yous, and it doesn't mean you're better than the other. It just means I like your cooking a whole lot. You will like Jesus cooking a whole lot. And you know, it's not just your cooking, but it's your fellowship. When we sit at that table, we just don't eat and we're quiet. We don't just come in the house, eat the food and leave, usually. When I was a paramedic, there were a few times, but... <clears throat> no, we sit down, we talk, we converse, we get to know each other better. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants to come in, sit down, eat with us, Talk with us. Remember in, in, in Genesis, it said that God walked in the cool of the afternoon with Adam. That was why God created Adam, was for relationship. Sin broke that relationship. Jesus restored that relationship. But there's still, Adam had to walk with God or God walked alone. We have to answer the knock at the door and walk with God in order to get to know him better, which in turn causes us to become more like Jesus. You know, when the scripture says that today is the day of salvation, it doesn't just mean that day, today is the day to receive Jesus. You see the word salvation, sozo, it means totally saved, saved from everything, not just hell. It means saved from everything. 
the financial disaster that's looming on the horizon, the illness that plagues us, the things in our lives that keep us from being more like Jesus, the hurts in our past that have caused us to doubt, all of those things. Today is the day to answer the door and let Jesus come in. And, 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 and save us from whatever is in that room. And Jesus concludes his address to the Laodiceans by saying in verse 21, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You know, Jesus was born, whether he was born in a stable or born on the bottom floor of somebody's home, the fact is, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't in the master bedroom. He came in to the lesser part of the home. And then in many ways, that's how it is when we're saved, right? We, 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 we know we need Jesus. We know we want Jesus. We invite Jesus in, but we kind of only leave him out on the patio, as it were, on the lower level, not up where we live every day. Can't let him see that. But he knows what to expect down on where we keep the animals. So we invite him into that much of our lives. But there's a guest room. But there are too many things cluttering the glass room. There's no room for Jesus. But he's knocking, knocking, knocking. And at some point, we open up the door and we invite him into the guest room. And he cleans up the guest room for us. But he's still not where the main living quarters are. But he's knocking, knocking, knocking. And we open up the door and we <clears throat> invite him into the main living quarters. But he's still not in the master bedroom. But he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If anybody deserves to sleep out of the master bedroom, it's me. If anyone deserves to sleep in the master bedroom, it's the master, <clears throat> Jesus Christ. And one day we get to the place that we can open up the door to the master bedroom and invite him in. That is how we grow from glory to glory to glory. That is the process of a fancy theological word called sanctification. That we give our all, that we laid it all down. That we allow Jesus to truly be Lord over all of our lives. That's what preparing for, that's what Advent is. Preparing for God's second coming. Because he said he was coming for a church without spot or blemish. And that's how he can most fully use you and me. And that's how he can most fully bless you and me. Is when he has total reign over our lives. What door is Jesus by his Holy Spirit knocking on in your lives this morning? 
What door do you need to open? Is there still more room in your heart for more of our Savior and his will for your life? You know, I can't say with certainty that Jesus was born in a stable or on the lower floor of a Judean home. But it occurs to me what's important is the fact that he came, not just where he was born. He came to this world. He knocked, and those who opened the doors, opened the door, became children of God and received the blessing of being transformed into his likeness. As a king of kings came once as a lowly child, he's coming again, this time as Lord of Lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Knock, knock. It's the king. Father, this morning, we want to open up all the doors of our heart. We want to hear you knock. We want to answer the door. We want to open the door. We want to invite you in. We want to dine with you. We want to know you better. We want to become more like you. We want to be fully submitted to your will for our lives. And we know that we can't do that in our own strength, Father. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to take this word and to make it power and strength for us. Father, you said your word does not fail. It does not return void, but accomplishes that for which you send it forth to do. You sent this word forth this morning, Father. You birthed it in my spirit. I believe you will bring it to pass in Jesus' name. I thank you and I praise you that you love us so much. You love us so much that you want to move us to the place where you can bless us the most. Thank you for your love, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.